Hey, May 24th, uh, episode 7, Mass Sculpting Podcast. Trevor Isham here with Wally Bullard, as usual. How's it going? And as we promised, uh, we're going to give you our deck building bonanza podcast today. Mostly based on standard, mostly based on competitive deck building. Uh, but I'm sure we'll touch on some other stuff as well. Uh, one thing that we're doing uh, that we're super excited about, and we'll of course give you feedback on after it happens, is an upcoming Chaos Draft. And while you, uh, for all our listeners who don't know what Chaos Drafting is, why don't you give a quick explanation and then explain why we're so excited. So what we're going to do is we're going to... Everybody on our, on our group, in our playgroup, Team Roman, is going to come in with three packs of cards that are extended legal. So anything from Morwen up through now, or you can bring... And we're going to throw all of these packs into one bag, and everyone's going to randomly get three packs. And then we're going to draft, and then we're going to play. And it's going to be awesome, because there's going to be some ridiculous combinations of cards that work, and people are going to have to play five colors, because they will pretend this into a conflux pack. And it's going to be it's going to be a good time. I'm super pumped. Yeah, I think it's going to be super sweet. Um, it's really fun to do if you have friends that are kind of competitive, and you have some friends that aren't. Um, but still know how to play because it kind of puts a big element of randomness um, into what you're doing. So you can't really draft strategies, just kind of drafting colors and just having a good time. So we're definitely going to do a drink and draft style, uh, some barbecues involved, and just it's a great idea for your playtest group just to kind of kick back and enjoy a day of magic. So Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for yeah. that. So, you know... Shout out to, to Team Ronan. Hope everybody comes in. Yeah, for sure. So, anyway, without further ado, we're going to jump right into deck building strategy. So, this is something we concentrate a lot on, and uh, you know, the, I've read a lot of articles about and kind of have a theory in mind. So, we're going to kind of go through it, you know, bit by bit. Uh, there's a couple things to start out with, and I think a lot of new players. This first part will be really helpful. Is understanding the difference between power of a card and the richness of a card. Now, many people talk about how a certain card is powerful, uh, meaning we've even talked about in this podcast that when you cast it, it does good things for the level of mana you're paying for it. Um, you know, the Titans are a great example of, of a card that, that's powerful. Um, Lightning Bolt is a, is a powerful card. You have the ability to do three damage with only one mana. These are all these are all powerful cards, uh, but what people don't focus on as much is the richness of a card. And well, I mean, you could start out by giving a basic definition of what we're talking about when we talk about richness. Yeah, so richness is more about the inherent value you receive from a card. Um, so, you know, a card can be rich and not powerful, or it can be poor, which would be the opposite of rich, and, and very powerful. Um, so it's, you know, stuff that does more than just a one-for-one, one, I guess, is, is a way to, to start looking at if it's, you know, developing any richness. Um, an example that that we've used and that Trevor uses is Stoneforge Mystic, uh, because, you know, and most cards that tutor something are, are pretty valuable as far as the riches go. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, Stoneforge Mystic by itself um, is is a rich card. I mean, in reality, it's a you know it's a two mana one two, but which isn't powerful. But it's rich in the fact that it gets you a, a tutor ability. You, know, you can go into your deck and pull out one particular card, and then put it into your hand. Um, as in a comparison, demonic tutor costs four. Um, just as something to actually not demonic, what a diabolic tutor costs four. So you you know you're getting for two mana you're getting a diabolic tutor like effect. Uh, clearly it's a, you know just limited to equipment, but you know there's obviously ways to break that. And then it's further enhancing its richness by its ability to then violin that equipment you know for much less than its casting cost. So another another prominent example of this is, uh, you know, in an article I recently wrote, I talk about the difference between Squadron Hawk um, and Royal Falcon. Now, <laughs> to find Royal Falcon, you got to go way back. A Royal Falcon is a 1-1 flyer for 2, and Squadron Hawk is a 1-1 flyer for 2. Their power level is identical, but Squadron Hawk allows you to go and search your deck and find all the other Squadron Hawks, and so it becomes a richer card, so... It's kind of a way to think about it. And then as we go forward in this deck building process, we're going to talk about this more, is that uh, certain colors have tended to be more rich and certain other colors have tended to be uh, more powerful. Um, and then when you kind of hit the tri- when you hit like the, the magical numbers when you're able to combine a powerful card with a rich card, um, cards like Stoneforge Mystic, um, cards like the Titans, they were rich and powerful. Powerful in the fact that when they came into play, uh, they were efficiently costed and you got to have an effect. And then rich because that effect continued turn after turn after turn. So we'll talk more about it as the situations come up. But those are just two important definitions that you have to understand to listen to the rest of this podcast. So well, I want you to go through the three different methods of deck building. Okay, so when when you're building your deck, there's there is, there's basically three ways. There's the easiest way, and then it gets progressively harder. There's net decking, which is going online, looking at tournament reports, finding a deck that fits your play style, and throwing it together and playing. And there's nothing wrong with this. You know, it's a good way to figure out what you like to play. Um, yeah, one of the, I mean, one of the biggest is, advantages to that, right, is you're getting a proven deck, and it doesn't take too much time. So for someone who just doesn't have a lot of time to dedicate to it, net decking, you know, it's a viable option. Yeah, there are there are plenty of people that that do it and win quite often. Um, the next option, kind of down the list, with you know, as, as you get more time and have more time available, is uh, net decking and tweaking. Um, and I know that, you know, Trevor talked about in the, one of the more recent articles he wrote that that's kind of like all the, the Cobblade decks. You know, it started with Cogo and then they tweaked it into Cobblade and since then there's been countless, you know, iterations of, of the Cobblade deck. Yeah, so part of the, the, the other terminology we're going to use, it's very, we'll bring it up here, is that um, you know, tweaking uh, is affecting what we're going to call the bling of your deck. 
deck has every deck that you're going to play has an engine, and that's kind of the primary cards that make it go. Uh, it's usually 16, maybe 20 cards, uh, but really only like five or six different cards. That's the engine of your deck. It, it drives the deck forward. It's what makes the deck win. It, it's what gives it its advantages. So most of the time when you're using the second form of tweaking, you're not changing that engine. You're kind of changing some of the peripheral cards around it. Maybe you're going to turn it into slightly a higher costed deck that has a bigger late game. Or maybe you're going to go for, you know, some lower costed cards that have a more efficient, you know, middle. You know, so that's kind of where tweaking comes in and what we're going to call the bling. Uh, the engine's still running, but you're kind of changing some of the little accessories that kind of push the deck and give it your own unique trademark or style. Yeah, and last up on the... the way to build decks and the most definitely the most time intensive way to build a deck is just brewing your own deck you know to, to start from scratch to innovate you know look at you know to look at two cards and see a cool interaction and start there um, is the way I normally go about brewing uh, you just kind of got to get started and it is definitely uh, it takes a lot of time, uh, a, a lot of time is spent taking the decks apart that you're brewing because they just don't work like you think they do. So, but it's that one time that you get it that makes it worth doing. Yeah, what's important is like every dominant deck started with a brew, right? Like every net deck was a brew at one point. The biggest thing think about, like Wally said, is the time. Like if you're gonna come, if you want to be someone who comes up with an original brew, you're gonna have to put a lot of time in developing the deck, play testing it, and getting it ready. And then, you know, ultimately dealing with the fact that perhaps even when you've done all this work, it may still fail in the end. You know, when you actually bring it to a competitive tournament. But I still don't think you should be discouraged because without brewing, Magic would be a pretty stale game and uh, it wouldn't be nearly as fun or as entertaining to play. Exactly. So, uh, once you've kind of decided, you know, how much time can I commit to this? You know, what style of build am I looking for? So am I, should I just go grab something online? Okay. Am I going to tweak a deck? Okay. You know, or uh, am I going to you know brew something completely new? Once you've kind of answered that question, you can move on to the next stage in, in deck design, which is determining what style of deck you know that you are best suited to play and that you enjoy playing the most. Um, and, and by and by style, we we're not talking uh, Johnny Timmy Spike language. That that's a little different. Um, what we're talking about is Control aggro, and uh, so, well, I want you to take us through, you know, maybe some of the kind of differences or what you can kind of ask yourself to kind of determine what type of player you are, or how you think about this. Yeah, so when you're when you're looking to to figure yourself out, I mean, it's it's really, you know, what do you like to do? Like, how do you like to win? Because it's, you know, everyone likes to win. There's not a single person that's like, oh, I don't, you know, 
losing is just as much fun as winning, and that's why I play Magic. So it's about <laughs> how how do you want to win, um, and is it through you know making your opponent only do what you're letting them do, or is it you know dealing as much damage as quick as you can, or finding that goofy way to deal a, a ton of damage or to stop them from doing stuff. Uh, and that's that's a basic way to get started. And you're really gonna find. And I don't. I have uh, just as I've been playing more, um, have have made made the switch from only playing uh, aggro strategies and starting to play more control strategies, just because it's you get to slow the game down. It's a little bit harder um, to to master those decks. It's a lot more fun. Once, once you understand it, now, there's nothing wrong with, you know, turn one goblin guy and beat him for ten turns in the game. You know, that's a lot of fun too. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so this is really like uh, this section of it is a lot of personal preference. Like, do I want to be more of an aggro player, or do I want to be more of a control player? Or there is a third option of do I want to play a combo deck because you know that that has its merits as well. You know, but in the, know and understand as Wally was saying that it can change with time and with the meta game and all sorts of stuff. So you know, you you just have to know going in though that this is going to be an aggro deck or this is going to be a control deck because if you don't know that going in, it's just going to end up somewhere in the middle and it's not going to be very good. So too many times I've I've looked at a list and someone showed me and said, Hey, can you help me with this? And I see fifty percent aggro cards and fifty percent control cards. They don't really go to weather. I'm like, Well what are you trying to accomplish? Like, are you trying to kill your opponent or are you trying to just stop your opponent from doing anything that hurts you? You know, or questions like that that kind of get at the heart of what they want out of their deck. And this is what you have to answer in order to build, you know, just a top-notch, you know, top-quality deck. So after you kind of have figured out, uh, you know, your play style and the amount of time you can commit, I think, you know, now you have to start understanding some of the logistics of magic. Um... And this is this has really only occurred to me in the last couple of weeks and, and months when I've you know been studying the game is that Magic is a game that has been designed and developed by professionals intending to be a business. So once you start to understand that concept, uh, it allows you to look at cards and deck building and kind of sets in, in a whole new way. And what I'm going to talk about in the next couple of minutes is kind of two of the pillars of that design uh, that really allow uh, you to kind of take advantage of them. So I'll, I'll let uh, Wally take the first one. But the first one um, is, and I think, uh, most important and brilliant, and hats off to Richard Garfield for coming up with it, is the color pie system. So well, I want you to share why the color pie is so important and what you need to keep in mind when building a deck with it. Yeah, but the color pie, it kind of sets, it lets you know what each color does. Because not, you know, you know, red and white are very much not the same. In fact, they're on opposite sides of the color pie. The easiest way to, to look and see the layout of the color pie is to flip over one of your magic cards and uh, the five dots 
the back actually in order go with the color box. So for those that haven't figured that out yet, so there you go. Um, but it, it lets you, you know, it kind of, and it gives you kind of a, a heading towards what you like, you know, what might work for you as, uh, you know, what, what kind of deck mode, like we are talking about before, you know, control versus aggro, you kind of look at what the cards do, and they're all, you know, everybody's different. There's little bits of overlap with uh, cards that are, or colors that are next to each other on the color by, like green and white have something in common, and white and blue have something in common, where green and blue have almost nothing in common as far as like what the cards do and the flavor of the cards. Exactly. So part of understanding the color pie is understanding what each color accomplishes. And so, and so really briefly going into that, uh, we have some articles in the show notes you can read if you want to learn more about the color pie. Um, written by some really great authors, uh, Mark Rosewater, the current designer and developer of Magic. And basically picking his brain is like picking Magic's brain. So I would suggest you read these articles and continue to read his. But anyway, blue uh, has almost commonly been uh, the control color, uh, the tricky and clever color. It gives us a lot of very efficiently costed spells. Um, not as many efficiently costed creatures, but you know, a lot of great you know spells. Uh, Wally, why don't you do white? White is kind of about you know building up the whole unit and, and protecting and kind of order, stopping you know kind of like stopping the bleeding, if you you know gaining life. You know, stopping them from attacking. Yeah, kind of honor, loyalty, purity, or the things associated with white. Yeah, they they have uh, they have life gain spells. They have um, pretty efficiently costed little creatures, but not as much big. And they're also the color that probably gets the most flying creatures. Yeah, uh, and protection. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, it gives protection uh, and, and gives some crafty things like not allowing other creatures to attack, stuff like that. Um, green, green on the other hand, green is uh, the color of growth. Uh, green gives you all the mana explosion. Uh, almost, um, there's not many cards outside of green that are that are kind of mana ramping. Uh, green gives you the best bang for your buck in terms of creatures. Um, you, know, you get you get the biggest creatures at the smallest cost out of green. Um, you get effects like regeneration, uh, which is you know continues that form of life vitality. So, um, and then uh, next to green in the color pie is red. Red is uh, as we mentioned before, usually the most powerful spells. Uh, they're ferocious, vicious, uh, independent. Um, you know they kind of are reckless. Uh, meaning they'll often have really high powers and kind of low cost. Um, they're the card most likely to have haste because it's a hasty color. <laughs> and yeah, not very defensive in, <laughs> in that fact. They want you to attack right away. That's why they give the creatures haste because red just kind of doesn't care about getting hit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of like the the drunk brawler charging into the fray. <laughs> So, and then the next on the color wheel next to red is black. Uh, black has always been associated with death. 
Um, and it's important to note that black in the storyline is not always evil. That's something that Magic has been, uh, you know, very, the Wizards developers have been very key on, is that black isn't evil, it's just associated with death. So, you know, they do, they have a lot of graveyard effects, um, they have a lot of targeted discard. Black has a lot of spells you can pay to life in order to, you know, make bigger things happen. Um, and a number of cards like that, regeneration, uh, or sorry, you know, rise from the grave effects. Uh, so, uh, which then brings us, oh, and also, of course, killing stuff. <laughs> Doomblade, go for the throat. And then lastly, blue, blue, uh, oh, I did blue, so anyway. But the important thing to remember for our purposes for this short essay, I want you to read the other ones, but that the blue, white, and black side of the color wheel has typically been associated with control decks, and that the red and the green side of the color wheel has typically been associated with aggro decks. Um, occasionally, um, the white deck is also kind of on that aggro side as well. Um, but that's kind of the takeaway uh, from this, is that understanding, you know, if you want to play aggro, you want to play control, kind of pushes you, you know, towards certain things in the color wheel. Do you have any more thoughts on that? There, are, something to look out for is cards that that break outside of their color pie, out of the, outside of their color. Um, that it's very rare that those cards are mediocre. They're either really powerful or really bad. So being able to see a card that that does something outside of its color. That is awesome. Uh, an, an example would be the, the Praetors in the new set in New Phyrexia. Uh, I'll speak on Elish Norn. Uh, the ability to give creatures minus power and toughness is something that's very not white, but in that case is a very powerful ability. Yeah. So it's just something. It's just something to look at. You know, kind of in. Uh, to, to see, you know, when you're evaluating card, does it have an ability that, that stretches across the color pie? Yeah, and then for our purposes, you know, like while we were just talking about what we kind of call color bleed, where a card kind of bleeds into another color, it, you know, it is red, but maybe it feels, you know, more blue for whatever reason. Um, but the, the important thing to also remember on that is that yes, there are going to be color bleeds in particular cards. But from a thematic perspective, you don't want to force a color to do something it wasn't designed to do. Yeah, we'll say that again a couple of times, but you know, colors are designed to do certain things. And so you forcing them outside of what they're designed to do is only going to lead to disaster. You know, there haven't been, you know, all that many successful, um, you know, like <laughs> red control decks. <laughs> It, it, it just kind of very rarely happens, and, and those decks are almost never what we're going to call dominant decks. Dominant decks being Cobblade, Jund, Fairies, you know, maybe Valakit for a little while, decks like that. Alright, so the next uh, important thing about Magic in general is we have this great system, and no one ever thinks about it, of mana and lands. Now, when they designed the game, they designed it in such a way that the mana and lands dictated a lot of what we do in the game, and it's unfortunately kind of, you know, kind of, I don't know, what do you think, like, 
not paid as much attention to as it should be? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that people look as a necessity instead of a, an important part of the game. Um, it, it sets, you know, it's, it's good at setting the pace, and that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah. Not so much, you know, the rest of it. And so many people, when they design a deck, they always start, you know, with, like, the cards, you know, like the spells. Um, and then, you know, like, when you're going through somebody's list or when you're looking at your own list, you know, you realize you barely spent any time on the mana. Um, and yet, and yet, like, that that's what, that's, like, the tires on, you know, the car, if you will. Like, if, you can have a great engine, but if you don't have any tires, you're not going anywhere. So anyway, so there's uh, you know a couple. Uh, again, Mark Rosewater, brilliant, wrote a great article recently, and he talked about you know basically what the mana restrictions do to the game. And I'm just going to read you know just a quick little quote from it. And he said, basically, in the er- what mana restrictions do is in the early turns you can only play a handful of spells because they're cheap and you can actually cast them. In the middle of the game, you have a few more options, but the spells are getting a little bit more expensive, so you're probably only limited to one bigger spell or two very efficient spells. And in the late game, you know, you can pretty much cast whatever you want, um, maybe even cast multiple, you know, medium-sized spells. Um, but the chance, but the fact is that you've already been casting spells and playing lands, and so you probably don't have that many cards left in your hand. This is turn six, turn seven, turn eight. In the middle games, like three, four, five, and obviously the early games, like one, two, depending on the decks. And the meta game this is all different, but that's about what we're talking about. So basically, yeah, what what we're saying here is these are fundamental rules of the game. Obviously, you get one land a turn. You know, you can only cast certain spells. Spells are generally, as they get more powerful, they cost more mana. So what is our goal in deck building? To break those rules. And if you look at all the decks that have been successful in the past, they've each broken broken those rules in key ways. Well, I want you to go over some of like the past decks and like kind of how they broke those rules efficiently. Well, well, uh, I'll say you know, kind of most recently is um, the Cowboy Decker deck that uses uh, sort of beast enchantment to be able to untap its own lands. You know, it lets you it's essentially doubling your mana pool. You know, except you split the phases. You know, get the first main phase, second main phase, and cat stuff. Um, almost more notably, would be Jund. Uh, I mean, Cascade was, you know, for lack of a better word, completely broken. Um, to to be able to cast a spell and then be given another spell underneath it for free. Is is I mean that definitely just breaks the rule of early game, middle game, late game. Um, you know, planeswalkers. You know, where you know the all American control super friends kind of deck. Planeswalkers, it's like a free spell all the time. You know, once a turn, which is pretty awesome. So if you have two or three planeswalkers out, you get two or three, you know, free spells, free abilities every turn. Yeah, I mean, getting back to our earlier discussion on richness, like, Planeswalkers are the ultimate rich card. Um, you know, basically their first turn, they're overcosted for their ability, typically. 
you know, for example, just a mind sculptor costs four mana, and you know, brainstorm or unsummon, you only cost one. So the first turn, you're not really getting, you know, too much value. You know, because you could have done the same effect for much less mana. But then, turn two, if you're still around, you get to basically perform this ability without using one of the valuable cards in your hand to do it. So it's essential, or any mana. So it's essentially a free spell. Um, and that's why Planeswalkers are kind of, since they've been around, have completely warped uh, magic in a good way. Like, it's added a lot of variety and fun to the game. Uh, but they just have so much richness, you know, to what they do. And then their power level is basically determined, you know, by what abilities they have, you know, to use. Every Planeswalker is rich. It's why they dominate, you know, limited games. But not every Planeswalker is powerful. Their power is determined by their abilities. Their richness is inherent in, in who they are. <laughs> so, when we kind of look at, at some of the decks that have dominated lately, what we're trying to do here is establish, you know, kind of key things you should look when you're deck building. You know, a couple of things stand out as Wally was running through that list of, of big decks. Um, and we just talked about one, is that Planeswalkers are very powerful and have played key roles in many of the great decks, you know, the last couple of years. Uh, clearly Jace uh, being, you know, the, the biggest example in, in Cobblade. Even before that, you know, in, in uh, you know, Super Friends deck. You know, but Garrick uh, was also a dominant walker at the time. Um, you know, even a Johnny Goldman, you know, defined decks for a while um, before, you know, fairies really took off. So uh, Planeswalkers by themselves add a lot of richness and value to decks if you're able to protect them or, or sync them with your cards. A um, couple other things. Uh, the foundation in your deck, which is what we were initially talking about a minute ago, the mana that your deck is built upon is essential to having a successful dominant deck that decks that have fragile mana bases are ultimately proven to be unsuccessful and Wally I think we both know a couple examples of some decks that you know had these fragile mana bases right yeah um, the, the angry bird deck the uh, red white blue cobbler deck it, it was very I mean it's if they got, you know, if you didn't get your red source in time, or if you were drawing your red sources instead of your blue sources, or all, most of your lands come into play tap, um, it, it made that deck very hard to play consistently. Yeah, you were mulliganing a lot. Um, you know, your, your, mana base, your mana base was stretched thin and uh, didn't always work. <coughs> yeah, and then. You know, as another example, you know, Jund was a fantastic deck. But as soon as, you know, but it should have been defeated much earlier than it was because people weren't attacking it in the right way. They kept attacking the creatures of Jund or the spells of Jund when really its biggest weakness was its mana base. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't have a turn one savage lands, you know, you're in bad shape. Yeah, and then yeah, one and card. If they, you know, were to spreading seeds to your savage lands, which is what ended up you know, kind of killing John. Exactly. Figured out spreading seas. Um, is it just it shut them down? Because it took their tricolor land, 
turned it into a color that they can't use and gave you a card. I mean, that's, talk about richness. Exactly, and so that's why, you know, cards like Spreading Seas, cards like Tectonic Edge, you know, they punish players who choose to play on too fragile a mana base, um, trying to stretch, you know, that foundation of their deck, you know, far too much. And so, you know, when you're deck building, you have to consider your mana base, how fragile it is, and how consistent it's going to be, because that ultimately is not only going to affect your gameplay choices, but it's also, and, and you know, your velocity, you know, coming into play tap land, stuff like that. Um, but it's also uh, going to, and I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, too high for theories. Yeah, if you play with a fragile mana base, it does let you play some pretty powerful, um, rich and powerful cards. But know that one of the easiest things for uh, an opponent's deck to do is mess with your mana base. So yeah. it doesn't always work out in your favor to have these powerful spells and creatures in your hand without the lands. Yeah, and I remember where I was going. Apologize for that. But basically it affects your mulligan decisions that much more. Uh, playing a two-color deck or even a one-color deck Mulliganing, it just becomes, you know, as far as land goes, much less of an issue. Um, and you're able to keep more hands, and therefore you start the game, you know, the way you should, on equal footing, if not better footing, you know, if your opponent is forced to, to mulligan. And, uh, you know, obviously over the course of, you know, hundreds of matches, that actually adds up to a significant difference. Um, yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why, in current standard, the blue-white you know, Cawblade lists have had the advantage over the Darkblade lists simply because, you know, they aren't mulliganing as much. And then when they do, <coughs> you know, there's not the fear of keeping, you know, a two-lander because almost always those two lands, you know, can lull and cast every spell in their deck. And I think that makes a significant difference, and I think it will continue to. So when we look at kind of a lot of these these rules we've kind of come up with looking at the powerful decks over the past you know basically we're saying you need to focus on your mana base you need to know how fragile it is and we call that the foundation um, you need to define you know the engine of your deck you know the the five or six cards and, and threes or fours that make the deck go that provide its power and does the broken things you want to do that kind of quote-unquote, break the rules of the game. And then you want to accessorize that deck, you know, with your own personal, you know, stylistic tools and stuff like that. Um, so w what we're going to do now, um, is I think we've covered kind of, yeah, the business that we wanted to. We'll talk a couple of more things at the end, but what we're going to do now really quickly is Wally's going to share a deck list that he brewed uh, from the ground up and kind of identify the different components of that list and what makes it kind of, uh, you know, just fit it into what we just talked about and how it's effective. Yeah, uh, we're going to start with the foundation, you know, because we build a house. You know, we start with the foundation, so just, just the mana base. The deck itself is mono-white. Um, uh, I say that as loosely as possible uh, because it does play other colored spells, but as we all know, you don't have to play black or blue mana anymore to play good black or blue spells. 
Um, it starts with 12 planes, you know, all full art, all matching for those of you that know me. Um, four tectonic edges, which is important for Mexico to stay a mana base. Um, four ink moth nexus, and uh, I'm running four fetch lands, two arid maces, and two marsh flats. And the reason I'm running two different kinds of fetches is because I am terrified of surgical objection. Because I don't want that to mess with my mana base. Um, then we'll step into the engine of the deck, and this one's—it's uh, a little weird. Um, the deck list is in the show notes, by the way, when you're listening, so you can check it out there. Yeah. Um, we have—it's—it's uh, it's kind of a—you know—the the strategy, the engine is, is to stall them out until you get to do something kind of crazy. Um, and right now, the easiest way to stall the game, you know, in my opinion, and hope, I think in everybody's, is Topple Magnet. Um, you know, it, it lets you tap down their threats. And this deck runs four. I haven't seen a lot of decks that, that have found the room for four Topple Magnets, but um, many times in testing, and, and Trevor can attest to this, if, if two of them hit the board, uh, the opponent has trouble. If three of them hit the board, uh, it's pretty much game over. Yeah, so this it's is a this is a expensive mana leak the first one. This is a control deck, so it is a it is a control deck, uh that is that is very much what it does. It, it waits until very late in the game to beat your opponent. Yeah, so so the tumble magnets kind of serve as you know, the engine of your deck as you said. What are what are some of the other engine cards, you know, that involve you, you know, able to stall out your opponent? Uh just to kind of tie in with with Tumble Magnet, um, there's three Surge Nodes, which is a, a new artifact that lets you just kind of keep keep charging your Tumble Magnets, and I have I've seen that those are are pretty helpful. Yeah, so basically that gives you like massive staying power, right? So kind of you know, your style is control, and then your you know your engine is basically just stall, stall, stall. Exactly. Okay, so. Uh, then what are, you know, what would you say are kind of the bling cards? Like, you know, what do you use to finish them off? Or what are you building towards? Or Well, um, I have uh, one more stall card. Okay. There's a four wall of omens. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it allows you to get to your late game by drawing cards, and uh, is a pretty big body for them to bash through. Um and, and Day of Judgment kind of fits in that, that same scheme of, you know, let them overextend into the board while you're stalling them out. Wipe it, let them rebuild, wipe it again. There are three Day of Judgments in the deck. Yeah. So what, I think one card, too, that you may have overlooked that I, I played against the deck and I find is the Everflowing Chalice. Oh, what's in there? Yeah, is the Everflowing Chalice and that Surge Node interaction... It's just really good because it allows you to, you know, when we were kind of designing the deck together, that combination gave you what we call an unbeatable hand, where you draw this hand and you feel unbeatable, and obviously you you are beatable, but yeah, you know. it, but it's it takes it almost takes either them drawing a very similar hand or you uh, messing up epically <laughs> to to lose the game. Um, so, yeah, we'll get into the bling. I, I almost want to count the uh, Everflowing Chalice as the bling because the, the engine of the deck runs on so little mana. Okay. 
the ever flowing chalice is just you know it's gravy. The, the cup just holds your gravy. <laughs> okay. Um, so ever flowing chalice leads to some in, in combination with certain those leads to uh, a turn three Gideon Jura, which um, I I have been handed very few losses when when playing this deck so far, um, but I I've had people scoop. Uh, to turn three Gideon, um, he's it's just hard to beat. You know, they they know uh, for the most part that they are never going to get to attack your you as a player because you know you're stalling. And Gideon is a pretty good stall card in the early game. It uh, makes them attack them, lets you build up your base and get out a little bit more of your of your bling. Uh-huh. Um, it runs. Four squatter hawks, and that's uh, more of a of a card advantage. Uh, you know, playing playing rich cards um, over over powerful cards in the sense. Um, you know, lets you, gives you chump blockers essentially to to help you stall. Uh, the main deck also runs four stoneforge mystics to fetch up. Um, a batter skull and a sword of feast and famine main deck, uh, and we had talked about some progressive before, just how how rich the card is, um, and and the ability to to violin batter skull after tutoring it up. Yeah, well, what what's interesting about your deck is that uh, is that. Uh, when you play it, you know, some, sometimes you like put down the turn two Stoneforge Mystic, you know, and I'm like, oh crap, I gotta deal with that, right? And then, and then like turn three though, you like lay a Tumble Magnet, and I'm like, huh, he didn't cheat it in. And then all of a sudden I realize, you know, he's not even, the Stoneforge Mystic is just like, you know, it's just kind of gravy. It's just like some card advantage, you know, some stall, kind of getting your kind of attention diverted from the real threat that's coming down the road. Yeah, it's, it really is. It just kind of installs the board out. Uh, one of my favorite things that I've done here lately is if I happen to draw a hand with Stoneforge and Batter Skull in it, is I'll tutor up my sword because a lot of people, when they see the deck, you know, they just kind of assume Cobblade because your first turn is, you know, kind of nebulous. Your second turn is Stoneforge. This is like, oh, you know, we're seeing Cobblade, so they've got a sword. And then, you know, they go to attack with, you know, and I've had somebody, you know, swing with a Goblin guy. And I reveal my land, and, you know, I've even, like, reached for my pencil, and I'm like, oh, wait, hold on, and I'll, you know, tap it and violence. The batter skull is already in my hand, and um, that's always fun. Win the game. <laughs> win, yeah, and, and just win the game. Uh, gaining four life is good. Yeah. Um, the ultimate, I'll, I'll save the ultimate win card for the end, I guess. Um, kind of another card advantage, um, you know, help the engine out card. Uh, this is This is both... This is like functional bling, I guess, like a supercharger for your engine. Um, it's Tezzeret's Gambit, which is blue, so we're kind of we're breaking the rules of monocolor, which is good, right? You know, doing something you're not supposed to be able to do. Uh, it draws you cards and proliferates your tumble magnets, your search nodes, your chalices, and your planeswalkers, which is, is good. But the ultimate bling card in the main deck is Karn Liberated. Uh, there are three of him. Um, I mean, if if you stick a card and lose the game, you probably used it wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I've never 
resolved the card and lost a game of Magic. I don't yeah. think. Even even in limited, which I was lucky enough to open a card this last week, but so yeah that's kind of like the, the the basic deck list so so basically you know to kind of paraphrase and put it back in the terms of our deck building it is what Wally did is he said you know I want to build a deck and he said I want to I want to brew it um, you know and, uh, and I'm obviously well researched and I'm well rehearsed I know what's good in the stand right now so I know Stoneforge Mystic is good with this equipment package um, so I want to play white, and I want to play kind of a white control version, and I want to play Karn. So what he did is he kind of hybridized, you know, this brew by taking cards he knew were, was powerful, you know, in a, in a package. You know, basically that seven card, Stoneforge Mystic, you know, equipment type package. And then the Squadron Hawks, you know, so he kind of took that kind of that claw blade approach. And then he made it his own, you know, in his own brew by kind of adding in some brew cards like the Tumble Magnets and the Surge Nodes and the Karn and, you know, the, lots of Gideons. Um, so, you know, basically he, he understood what White was good at, and that was controlling the board, limiting damage, um, you know, and then he put in cards that incrementally gave him, you know, card advantage and were able to control that board in, you know, a very powerful way. Do you have anything to add to that, or? Yeah, um, you know, it, it fits very well um, into the, the style of, of deck building that, that we try to use. Um, you know, I I knew I wanted to play a control deck. Um, that's what I've been playing with. I'm, I'm you know, getting better. Um, this is, so I, I knew I wanted to do that. I wanted to try and build a control deck that didn't play um, Jace, which drew me out of blue, because if I didn't want to play Jace, um, the reasons to be in blue are, you know, preordain and main league. And so I just kind of took the cards outside of that, you know, the controlling cards outside of blue, um, and, and went from there and found Tumble Magnet. And then as soon as the, the spoiler came out and we saw Surge Node, I mean, Trevor and I just kind of both started drooling over what that does with Everflowing Chalice, you know, leading to a very early, very big game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, then I mean, kind of... I, I know that was, that, uh, a big inspiration was trying to find a deck that's going to play Surge Node, you know, because sometimes you, get, you see a card and you're like, I'm going to make this card good. And that, that was that was part of it, too. Um, that's, you know, that's part of brewing, too, is, you know, you see a card that, you know, you see something and then maybe someone else didn't, and and you just want to show them what that card can do. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's kind of an example of what you can, yeah, taking kind of some of these theories we've applied and kind of brewing a new list, you know, seeing a powerful card in a particular color, understanding what that color does well and what some cards in the set are that complement it, um, you know, understanding what rules in the game you want to break. You know, well, the surge node, Wally said, you know, it allows me to break, you know, playing powerful spells at early points in the game. You know, I shouldn't be able to do that, but surge node allows me to. And then, like, even if I'm not able to do that, surge node allows me to keep, you know, add richness to some of my already good cards like Tumble Magnet. So he kind of used some of those things and, and kind of created a, a pretty sweet deck. So... Yeah, just as, as a quick example of a, of a tweak, 
Uh, I'll just kind of cover, you know, basically, this has been done a thousand times, so I'm not going to bore you too much with it, but I have a call blade list that I've been playing, you know, for months. It's never been the same 60 cards. Um, but, you know, basically what I did is, is kind of obscure and came on the back of, uh, can't take all the credit myself, Edgar Flores and some other guys, and I said, you know what, like, I'm playing all these matchups where every time I cast Gideon, like, they just kill him. And so I haven't really done anything except save myself one turn. So, yeah, I went with this new list. Uh, you know, I basically I tweaked, you know, my current net deck, if you will. I mean, I kind of came up with it, you know, myself. But, uh, and, and, yeah, I took out my Gideons and added in, you know, these really efficiently costed spells like Inn of the Royal and Condemn. You know, because I was, you know, I just wanted it to play a different way. You know, I, as I said, you know, I wanted to play more like a legacy deck, where like the top of my curve is four, and I always, you know, mana is never an issue, and I'm kind of playing these cheap little spells that kind of slowly do powerful things. And then I even add my own little bling, and I play uh, Mirren Crusader in my main deck. You know, it's kind of a fun, you know, fun little card that when it hits the board, people are like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. I haven't seen that too much. So it's just about taking a net deck and tweaking it to make it your own and make it something that you really enjoy playing. Yeah, I mean, because that's, that's the whole point, right, is if you're playing a deck that you don't like, I, I take it back. Sometimes you're going to play a deck that you don't necessarily enjoy playing because it's really good and you win. But it's, it is, it's always better to play a deck that you enjoy playing uh, because you will have been able to do more willing to test it, get on, and, you know, it's, it's kind of what it's all about. You're just going to get better at playing a deck that you like to play more because you're willing to put more hours in. Yeah. Well, like some of, you know, some of our most innovative builds came after, you know, we got frustrated playing a deck, right? Because we're like, this isn't fun. Like, it's just not doing the things I like to do. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, brew up a deck that's that's better and does the thing yeah, that I, I want to do. Yeah, I super bored playing <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you went out, found a new deck, and I had the same thing. You know, I kind of played around with Venser for a while and kind of made that work in a cool way. Uh, you know, went back to just my blue-white control list, which was cool, and, you know, so, like, that happens. And so you innovate, and you kind of, you know, make something new, and, and uh, you know, as, as the phrase goes, stop bitching, start brewing. <laughs> yep. So, anyway, so kind of what we're saying at the end is listen to our cast. You know, understand the mechanics of magic. Understand that this is a designed game that's pushing you towards certain things, and that trying to break those constraints isn't going to yield good results. And then, almost most importantly, understand the difference between power and richness. And this is not only going to help you in constructed building, this is going to help you in limited deck construction as well. It's being able to identify those rich cards. Uh, you know, I was looking back on kind of Wally and I's really, you know, pretty good success, you know, in this last limited season, you know, with releases and pre-releases. And it was really because we understood which cards in the set were rich. It's pretty easy to identify the powerful cards, but it's a lot harder to, under, you know, identify the rich ones and the ones that are kind of going to put you over the top. And we were able to do that before anybody else, and, you know, we have a lot of packs to show for it. <laughs> So, uh, we always want to reach out you know, to our listeners, as always, and answer your questions. We've gotten too many to answer all, but we've chosen a couple we want to answer here before we sign off. 
um, and then keep sending them in. Uh, we're also going to announce the winner of last week's contest at the end of the cast. So stay listening for just a few more minutes. You'll find out who the big winner is of some mental missteps, which went up again in price. So congratulations. Uh, so the first question, uh, while it was around this new uh, format that's coming out, so why don't you touch on that and maybe what some of our ideas are on it. So the new format is called Modern Magic. Uh, starting out just in the Community Cup, which is kind of like the Players Cup, you get voted in, and it's mostly online. Um, and what's cool about this is it seems like they're trying to make have a format that's bigger than ex- the current extended, but that's not as expensive as Legacy, and that's not affected by the reprint policy. And so what it does is it starts with 8th edition, which... Uh, probably for most of our listeners, um, the, almost a current card frame instead of the new card frame that maybe they haven't seen the old one. Um, but it, it's all the cards that are in, in the current card frame are legal. So it's one, you know, it's what's going to be cool about this format is you can literally just look at the card and know if it's going to be playable. There's a very short uh, band list on here, uh, which you, I. We'll find uh, the website and put a link in the show notes. Um, but you know, it's it's neat. Obviously, Wizards has has heard the heard the complaints about the price of Legacy and how boring Extended is, and they're trying to meet us in the middle. Um, and yeah. I, this might be a way to do it. So yeah, so I mean, one big thing is like you know, in our area and in our play group, like we're newer players to the game. So, like, we don't have legacy decks. Like, I'm not going to ever bother making one. Like, I've never seen a legacy match played at any of the stores I play at. Like, ever. I think you've probably seen, what, five maybe? Tops? Yeah, ever. Yeah, so so they needed to, to, to bridge that gap, and I think the modern format's going to do that. Um, maybe. We'll see. Maybe it won't work out. Um, I think it'll be similar in power level to legacy, but, you know, like... Things could happen, and, and we could see some cool stuff. Uh, I actually really liked Extended. I thought there was room for a lot of innovation, but I guess it didn't catch on with all players, so they're, they're trying another new thing. Well, I think one of the, the main complaints about uh, the current Extended is that it's essentially this standard versus the last standard. Um, there's not a lot of, of innovation that's happening because, I mean, you could pick up the exact same fairies list that was in standard a couple of years ago and go to an extended tournament and do very well. Yeah, see, I think there's something cool about that, though, because, like, in sports all the time, it's like, what if LeBron James would have faced, you know, Michael Jordan in his heyday? You know, like, who would win? Like, those are, like, the cool conversations, and, like, in extended, we get to have them. Like, Jun versus fairies, like, who wins? You know, like... And then, like, you know, pretty soon it'll be Cobblade versus Fairies or Cobblade versus Jund or, you know, like, it's just kind of a cool conversation because we don't get to have it, you know, in, in many other arenas. And so I actually really enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah, but the real question is, is in the, the sports analogy, is it LeBron James and his team and Michael Jordan and his team from then? Or do they get to play with, you know, is it, is it one-on-one? Are we just hitting one card against another card? Are we putting the whole team, or are we saying, you know, yeah, no, it's, that's it's, Bulls team and the Michael Jordan when he was the best, and put it against the best LeBron James team we've seen? 
Yeah, like, no, I mean, is, is there any comboing that that can be done that would even like would it be cooler to watch LeBron James and Michael Jordan play on the same team? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's definitely things, and and you know that could happen. You know, like. And I think there's still innovation to be had and extended. You know, for example, like the last like two lists that won were like that mono white behemoth that like you know we messed around with in the standard, which was like a Maria and Glimmer Point Stag and Skyfisher and Lone Missionaries and Sun Titans, and it was just like this behemoth of a deck, and you know it was it was pretty fun to play and you know really innovative stuff that kind of took the took the format over for a little bit. Yeah, I'm more interested. In, I would like to see, you know, the old or the extended decks playing cards from, you know, playing more cards from, you know, standard. Which you know, all the standard cards are legal and extended, but to see them, you know, brought together and and played and you know, broken wide open. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just it's just, but it's also one of those formats that. Um, there's only so, you know, you really only play it at, you know, pro tour qualifiers. And so it's something that people don't play very often. But Wizards did announce that it is now a viable FNM yeah. format. So, you know, your local game store might start running uh, an extended FNM. And what's cool about that is you can play with your standard deck. Oh, yeah. I mean, bring Cobblade. At extended. Yeah, just yeah. take your Cobblade deck. Take take this mono white build we talked about. Um, yeah, just like, you know. and, which, and the other format that they talked about, I just want to touch on this real quick, is that block is now also an FNM format, but not all standard decks are block, but <laughs> all block decks are standard. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so I don't, I don't know, like, the other, the last thing I get to say about that is, like, you know, I hope they keep extended around because the other thing, too, is, like, I like my cards to not lose too much value when sets rotate. And I think extended kind of helps, you know, keep those prices up, um, you know, in value, you know, for a little bit longer period of time. Um, so there's not kind of this massive sell-off that, that, you know, I have to do, you know, when a set rotates that, you know, I kind of know that, you know, I'm at least going to get something out of, out of these cards, you know, when I go invest them, you know, in them to play. So, yeah. so anyway, so the um, along with this kind of a, we wanted to cover it because, you know, somebody asked, you know, we are competitive magic, you know, mostly standard, but, you know, commander, the new commander decks are coming out. And, uh, you know, kind of people just wanted our input on it. And, uh, you know, I have a commander deck. Um, I play uh, Dromar the Banisher, um, which is a, uh, which is a uh, Esper deck. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. Like, I know, well, you're, you're buying one. Like, you're just, because you, you haven't gotten to the game yet, but you're just like, I'll just buy one of these and, you know, add another 20, 30 bucks worth of cards. And, you know, I'll be, you know, at least somewhat competitive when I sit down. Yeah, um, my plan is to buy the red, white, and blue, and I'm looking it up now. It's called Political Puppets. Um, it's going to make me laugh. I think it's why. Or one of the, it's because one of the creatures is a, one of the commanders that comes with is a minotaur monk. That's <laughs> what, what made me laugh when I first saw it. Um, Political Puppets and a minotaur monk. <laughs> yeah, so um, I like alliteration, I guess, <laughs> in, my, in my deck names and, and card names. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to play. Uh, I'm excited for the spoilers. Um, I mean, you know, all spoiler seasons are good, and the last <laughs> one was a whirlwind. Um, so I'm excited to, to get seen. And um, every commander deck features features 15 new cards, 
that haven't ever been printed and you know they're legal in the internal formats um legal in commander i assume that they're going to be legal in modern magic because they're in the card frame yeah yeah they will um so it's it's pretty cool um to get to see new cards you know we assume we're going to get this we're going to see something that's going to be printed in an upcoming set too there's some cool spoilers there's some speculation on what's coming and what's not old cards and new cards. I'm really, I'm excited for the deck list. Um, yeah, so, in the end, I think... And it's, it's a lot less work to buy a constructed deck. Hopefully they're playable out of the box. It'll be a real bummer if they're not very playable out yeah. of the box. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll be fairly playable. I think, you know, with, with a couple, of, you know, I think you toss in some more standard cards and, you know, a few kind of like EDH state or commander staples. You know, like, you'll be fine. But, yeah, I think what's, uh... The reason I built a, a commander deck is because basically a lot of other people in my store had them, and you know, like they wanted to get into casual games. I always wanted to play standard, and you know, so I was like, ah, screw it. You know, as long as I'm going to be playing, I might as well play with a deck you know, I like because I just kept borrowing decks for a while. So I think this is a great way just to get in it cheap. I think you should pre-order yours now at Lake Geneva Games because they are going hot. Um, you know, they're going fast. And uh, so I think you should go into Lake Geneva Games or go online and, and you know pre-order yours right away. Uh, let Jason know you want them, uh, and so you can pick them up you know the first day, and we can have some fun playing some Commander. Yeah, there's actually there's a pretty cool release tied in with it. There's um, you know like you get like a card with all these different things. Like it's kind of like a curing. Uh, Achievement points. Yeah, achieve, yeah the achievement Xbox card. Gets, the achievement card. Yeah. And uh, some of them are, are weird. It's like lose the game, like be the first one out of the game. Like I, I plan on being able to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. But it'll, it'll be cool. And it comes with some, you know, oversized commander cards. Like, so your commander's just massive. And it comes with the regular one too. So if it gets shuffled under the back, it goes, comes into play. Yep. Uh, stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's some neat stuff. It's coming from 15 new cards that no one will ever have seen before. Um, cool stuff. Yeah, so that's awesome. And then the, the last, so Commander's awesome. Buy it at Lake Geneva Games. Um, I think it's going to be pretty sweet. So um, the last question we had uh, was from another listener, and he wanted to know a little bit more about tribal decks. Uh, he referenced um, Zendikar uh, allies. Um, as being something that you know, he thought was really fun to play, and he was wondering, you know, what kind of decks you know could possibly be standard competitive uh, of that same you know type. Um, so first of all, Allies has had its moments in the sun and standard. Uh, definitely never tier one, but always kind of a tier two thing lurking out there. Um, it's something you know that you could you should you know consider you know take into account you know that you know what it is and what it does. Um, yeah, and tribal has been a big theme in Magic uh, since the beginning. Um, obviously, the the two most powerful tribes, well, maybe there's three most powerful tribes, I guess, are elves, goblins, and probably merfolk. Um, so goblins uh, have long been, you know, <laughs> recently Channel Fireball did the top ten red cards of all time, and I think, like, nine of them were goblins, maybe, or maybe, like, yeah. eight, of, eight of them or something, so... Yeah, or- <laughs> yeah, so you know, goblins has been a pretty consistent theme. It pops up a lot. You know, it, they're usually powerful cards, and occasionally they get a rich one. So, you know, it turns into you know a decent deck, um, which is that's always fun. Um, my favorite uh, tribe has always been and continues to be elves. 
Um, I think they're super flavorful um, in green. Um, the mana, I love mana ramp. Um, it's kind of what I used to when I played kitchen table magic like way back in the day. You know, I was always so impressed um, with land of war elves or birds of paradise. Like those are my favorite cards. Um, and, you know, my brother currently runs a pretty sweet elves list um, that always kind of terrifies me when he is able to play turn one land of war elf because I know I'm behind already. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I would I would uh, highly actually recommend Elves to anybody uh, who wants to kind of play a fun aggro almost combo s deck. Um, it's pretty it's really fun and, and does some powerful things. Uh, a, a try to be left off your list of powerful cards that's currently not bad at standard is uh, vampires. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot. I completely forgot. Yeah, so I'm from uh, Chicago. I should definitely know that. I mean, I think we like invented vampires or something. <laughs> I. I know I got vampires from the Chicago guy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I, you know, I played it you know, competitively for a while. Uh, I really liked it. It was, it was really, it was my last hurrah in the, at aggro because it has some control features that are fun, and so that kind of switched me over. Yeah, I really think what was it? I mean, the, the the card that kind of tipped the scale on that had to be kind of the Clastia Highborn Viscera Seer combo, right? Yeah, well, now it, the, the black-red version plays uh, Hero Boxen Ridge. Mm, that's right. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's it, yeah, Hero Boxen Ridge is not a vampire, it's a knight. Um, it's absolutely insane. Well, and then well, knights of the white tribe, I guess, like the, the classic. Yeah, soldiers, I think. Tribe. Yeah, soldiers are knights. Yeah, so it's, you know, there, there's one in each color. So if you're interested in playing a tribal deck. Yeah, so I guess we should you say, look you know. at the five basic tribes. Yeah, so soldiers are white. Yeah, soldiers are white. Elves are green, and so and it's kind of funny. This is actually pretty cool. Elves are green, and they usually all have some kind of mana ability that ends in an overrun or something like that. Uh, Very green. White uh, are soldiers, and they usually all pump each other. So they'll give other white creatures plus one plus one or. Um, they use like enchantments like honor the pure to give all white creatures plus one plus one or something like that so give each other protection or stuff like that um, and white also have clerics which is another popular one but not as popular um, and then let's see we have uh, we have red um, red is goblins and it's basically just like do as much damage as possible even if we have to sacrifice ourselves <laughs> or our friends <laughs> Um, and then uh, black, we have vampires, uh, which is really classic. Uh, you know, pay life to kind of do some, to put out some powerful creatures or kill some powerful stuff. Or take life to gain life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that too. Um, you know, uh, or yeah, or um, you know, um, what's a really sweet black draw card spell? Sign of blood. I uh, know the other one, the uh, the enchantment. Reveal the top card. You do. You take oh that. Oh Dark tutelage. Dark tutelage. Yeah. So like that's a classic black spell. You know, like you get a card advantage, but you, know, you have to pay life to do it. Anyway, that's in vampires. And then blue is merfolk, um, which is you know the same thing. It's, it's always kind of some tricksy cards. Um, they tap each other. They untap other stuff. They have island walk. They have you know kind of neat stuff like that um, and then I guess like some a sub thing would be wizards too I mean blue's had a lot of wizard cards printed so you could you uh, same as red has had dragons but the, the five we kind of touched on are, are the most viable that have at, at one point or are still 
you know, competitive decks, and they very much um, hold true. All those decks hold true to their their section of the color pie. So there, there's another easy way to kind of understand what the deck or what the colors do is by looking at the tribes that live inside of that color. Yeah. So the yeah, tribes have definitely been uh, been popular different times, and I think elves. Is- Elves and vampires are probably the two best now, and something that's continued to be explored, um, just because they offer... I think what's great about Tribes, too, is that for newer players, it's something they can quickly identify with in the deck-building process. You know, they can say, oh... It says Elf on it. Yeah, this... You know it'll probably get an Elf. Exactly, yeah, this this card works with this other card that has the same, you know, tribal name. You know, that's just obvious, and then... But then from there, you know, they're able to branch out and start seeing other cards that work with other cards, and that's just kind of a great way to introduce a new player, you know, understanding how cards interact with each other. So, I'm all for it. I hope they keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah. It's always fun to see. You know, I'm excited for this. Uh, You know, maybe we'll have a a Minotaur tribe (laughs) from my Minotaur month. Exactly. Um, So, that's our cast for today. Uh, We hope you liked it. Um, My full article on deck building will be up in the show notes um, and hopefully a couple other places as well. Um, You know, as always, all the links we mentioned will be in the show notes. Uh, Our couple deck lists will be up there. Um, and uh, yeah we'd love to hear your feedback any questions we know this one was a little deep um, so any questions would be much appreciated we can cover in the future cast or email you back um, and we haven't forgotten about it Wally you want to announce the winner of our contest yeah um, so last week you know, we had a, a contest where you had to comment on the cast and then you know Give us your Twitter name, add us to Twitter, we put you on a list, and we, you know, we ended up rolling a, a die to see who wins the playset of Mental Misstep, which currently is between six fifty and $5, so you're welcome. Um, and so at the beginning of the cast, uh, you know, I wrote down the list in a, a random order. Trevor, you know, way down there in Chicago, rolled a, rolled a die, gained it a number, it came up six. Uh, and the winner, and I'm, I'm actually gonna, gonna tweet to him right now, is at Trenton Thorpe. So, you know, Trenton, uh, send us some info on yourself and we'll, we'll get it going. I'm gonna tweet you here shortly. So congratulations. Uh, be on the lookout for more well, giveaways. Let's do one tonight. Alright, let's do it. Let's do one tonight. So, again, same rules. Uh, give us a tweet. Give us a comment. And we will enter your name into the uh, into the drawing. Uh, the prize to be named, but rest assured, it will be well worth your time. I'm thinking Planeswalker for this drawing. Don't worry. Not Chandra Blues. But probably not JC either. But somewhere in the middle. It might be Chandra Blaze. It might be Chandra Blaze. No, it's not. It's not. It might be. But anyway, shout out to us on Twitter, at Trevor Isham, or uh, at WDB4TH. And uh, yes, and uh, leave us some comments down below. We'll get your name in our new drawing, and you could be the next winner. So uh, that's it. That's our cast. Hope you liked it. Shout out to our sponsor uh, at Lake Geneva Games. Um, and uh, Evil Squirrel Comics, thanks for the love. 
Uh, I one quick shout out. Um, uh, Team Ron in our playgroup is tragically losing a member to employment. Uh, he's moving. Uh, so Kyle, we hope you come out on Sunday. Um, it's been good to play with you. Um, you know, always on the team until I get bored and boot you off with Exactly. Sweet. Well, uh, hopefully you guys have a great night. Yep. See you guys. Peace.